What's up, Legends? On this episode of the podcast, I meet with Justin Clark, a good friend of mine and the director of facilities at Southern Ohio Medical Center. Justin's a true professional in his career and lover of all things local. We found ourselves really diving into the current situation small businesses are navigating during COVID-19 and the reality that this event really could become one of the greatest surges of innovation that our city's ever seen for both our professional and personal lives. We agreed that we both see things differently at this point than we did two weeks ago and talk about what changes look like from here. And of course, every single episode of this has been made possible by Glockner Chevrolet. They're a huge part of the good things that are happening here in Portsmouth. And so when you or anyone you know is ready to make a vehicle purchase, make sure to visit glockner.com to get started. Enjoy the episode. This is the Local Legends Podcast. We're live on the Local Legends Podcast. This is episode 13. We finally got all the notifications silenced, and I'm sitting here with Justin Clark. What's up, man? What's going on, Connor? I'm good. How are you doing? Man, like I said on the phone, uh, you're, this, this episode's way overdue, so we've been friends for a while, and I admire like who you are as a person and what you do professionally. So, um, you know, welcome. Glad to be here. I also know you to be one of the most highly caffeinated and social people I know. So, like, how are you adjusting to this new climate? Um, quarantine life is hard on us super extroverted people. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going by, uh, by still going to work. What was that Facebook post? Check on your um, extroverted friends. They are not okay or what did you say? <laughs> Some of us are not okay. I'm telling you, this is... These are tough times. My wife told me that she's been preparing her whole life for isolation. The extra, the introverts are loving this. Man, I know they weren't. They came in prepared. I thought it was funny. I made that post, and, and one of my buddies in Columbus that I went to college with, his wife, like literally commented, "Call Nate. He's not all right." <laughs> Just seriously dropped him like a real line in the comments. <laughs> yeah, literally, he talked to me for twenty-five minutes that day. He was That's struggling. awesome. Man. It's, been, it's been a social adjustment. It's been a complete lifestyle adjustment. I mean, people's work rhythms are changed. Their social rhythms are changed. Their personal rhythms are changed. And I think that, you know, coming out on the other side of this, I think a lot of our rhythms will change. And that's something that we're all trying to figure out what that looks like for us personally and professionally. Mm. And just by the texts I've gotten from you the last couple of weeks, I know uh, that your own presence of mind has like changed as well. And so I definitely want to get into more of the adjustments you're making and how it's changed you as a person, uh, because I think we're all in kind of that assessment phase right now and trying to figure out of what we do from here, right? Absolutely, yeah. For everyone listening, just give us like the Wikipedia page summary of Justin Clark. Um, so I, I'm married to my wife, Missy. We have three kids, Kason and Logan, um, who are 12 and 9, and we adopted our, our daughter, Nora, who's 18 months old. Uh, we adopted her a year and a half ago. Um, so we're a family of five plus uh, one chocolate lab named Maggie. So six total. Uh, we live in Wheelersburg. I'm the director of plant operations at Southern Ohio Medical Center. So in that role, um, I manage maintenance, operation, and new construction for all the facilities in the hospital enterprise and have a great team that helps me do that on a day-in-day basis. Um, I serve on the board of directors for the counseling center 
and for the Candyland Children's Museum, uh, hopefully soon to be in Portsmouth, Ohio. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. And obviously, uh, like SOMC is probably more on the forefront of people's minds than it has been in the past since you guys are, are really like the local authority on what we do in this crisis and people really are, are looking to SOMC for guidance. So just on social media alone, I've really admired how proactive uh, SOMC has been and even just posting content to keep the community informed and calm and, and action step how we overcome this. What's been your vantage point through everything? Yeah, um, you know, in our roles with maintenance and facilities, we don't provide direct patient care, but we get a see the people on the front lines every day and our mission is to support them. And so a lot of the work that my team does has to do with how the how we prepare the buildings and facilities to receive patients, um, in this case, potential infectious disease or COVID-19 patients. And so there are things that we do behind the scenes to make spaces as safe as possible with regards to airflow and how we control that airflow so that we don't um, distribute the disease to places that it shouldn't go should those patients come to the hospital. Um, we work setting up the mobile testing tent that's in Portsmouth. Uh, our team took care of setting that up. So we, we kind of are behind the scenes to make sure the people on the front lines who are really putting themselves out there um, have what they need to take care of patients from a physical infrastructure perspective. Mm. Yeah, and I know uh, like how passionate you are about that, man, and that you really care about the well-being of the people you're working with. And I saw you even posting a recent picture of you guys with face shields on and all kinds of stuff that you instructed yourself. Yep. Um, so one of the challenges I think everybody's aware of this crisis, especially initially, was with the supply chain, manufacturing, and personal protective equipment. And, yeah. And so one of the things that was brought to my team's attention um, – was that there were some hospitals in the country who were manufacturing some of their own personal protective equipment um, in place of the shortages that existed in the supply chain. So one of my colleagues brought to, brought to us this idea that they had heard about another hospital making face shields. And so our team kind of took that as a challenge to figure out a way to manufacture those. And we were able to come up with basically common office supply type items or maintenance department type items to turn those into face shields. So we actually ended up making 4,000 face shields um, mm. that we've now supplied to our employees, to local first responders, and now we're working with local nursing homes as well. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's amazing to see the community come together and just kind of reprioritize what they're focusing on to keep people safe. Obviously, if you're not directly on the front lines with maintenance, you're really close. What's got some of the best advice that you've gotten in the current situation? Sure, and I, I, I think the, the best advice is the, is the advice that we're all hearing consistently, which is to, to be socially distant when possible, um, hand hygiene, wear a mask when you're out in public. Um, those really are the most foolproof measures to protect yourself. And you know, from a just from a personal perspective, you know, we, we joked about me being an extrovert. And isolation is hard and, um, you know, Social distance is hard, even when you're in the same physical space as somebody for me. Um, and so those are things that, you know, I would just encourage everybody as, as difficult as those things are right now, whether you're an extrovert or introvert, those are the things that really protect you and protect the ones you love and care about the most. And, you know, part of adhering to those things is not just about protecting yourself, but it's about serving your, your neighbor and your, the, the people that you would come into contact with by, by sacrificing your personal comfort sometimes to stay away and stay distant and not make those 
frequent trips out for things that you normally would make. Absolutely. Um, and so it just requires a whole new level of uh, intentionality from all of us. And Yeah, and, and you know, with any crisis, it kind of proves things about ourselves or our culture. And so I think that the, this crisis has proved lots of things maybe that we thought we were capable of, whether or not we are capable of them. And it also kind of proved to us, you know, I, I as an individual am capable of putting others before myself more often than I maybe thought I could. Um, and I think all of us, it's an opportunity for us to like be self-reflective and realize that, you know, putting someone else before myself is, is a way of life that is probably or potentially more rewarding um, than what we realized before this crisis. So one of the things I was really excited about bringing you onto the podcast for, Justin, is like, I, I just really admire your presence of mind. So you bring that to the table in any situation. And especially in this situation, you're always thinking and assessing and figuring out, um, I guess, how your attitude and your actions should be positioned. So what have you learned about yourself and the community through this? Yeah, sure. You can drink a coffee here. <laughs> you know, and you and I have talked a little bit through text, but I, I think a lot of, like, especially for, I'll speak for extroverts. I won't pretend to understand what introverts go through. Um, but I, I think for, for me personally, a lot of, my satisfaction in life has been connected to activity, um, being, being busy, um, having things to do, having places to go. And even like kind of the, the joy I find each individual day is rooted in, you know, what are we going to do today? And, and the idea of just doing nothing or sitting still or finding things to do that don't involve you know, significant social interaction, frankly, were things that probably scared me a little bit before this crisis. Mm. But I know you and I have texted about you know, this pace of life is really pretty appealing and, and, and really surprised me, um, not without its challenges. And, you know, my wife would tell you that you know, there have been some, I've had some pretty stir crazy moments throughout this. But I think all in all, like learning to be complacent or even comfortable and even desire maybe a lifestyle that is not rooted in activity uh, or busyness. Yeah, and it's it's not that we even know exactly what that looks like yet. It's just that we realize that we're at a slower pace and we're still okay. I guess uh, like one of the coolest takeaways that I heard from this and just even just um, work I've been doing from home, I heard from a dealer that was giving a webinar that was kind of assessing the situation and talking about like how, how it's time for just people in their professional and their personal life to pivot. He said, like, when you're making money, it's hard to make changes. Mm. And, and I, that, like, really, uh, really hit home for me. There may be time to, to change a lot of things, right? Yeah, and I would even press into something you said earlier that, you know, you know, life has slowed down and I'm still okay. And it might be so far as life has slowed down and I'm better off for it. And, and so I think that's been the real challenge for me personally is, am I maybe healthier physically, mentally, emotionally? Am I a better husband and father and even you know, employee, employee friend as a result of having more time for intentional thought, for goal setting, for um, really being deliberate about choosing how I spend my time as opposed to just filling the space with stuff? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, because uh, you get in this mode where you feel the pressure to complete all these tasks, but then 
look back or maybe you don't even look back and, and see if you've really even accomplished something. Or and I think one way to distill it down simply is like, I think too often we mistake activity for achievement. Mm. And, and that really, if, if we slow our life down, think about what do we really want to achieve or accomplish, then we can be more pointed and directed at those goals as opposed to kind of expending energy that lacks achievement. Sure. But the terms that I've always like clung to and used as focal points, especially in my professional life, is like there's quantitative data. How much return on investment or money did I get because of this action? And then there's quantitative data. How, how many people like legitimately feel good about working with me or that transaction that just happened? And how can that uh, le- legitimately enrich and improve somebody's life? Right. So I feel like the quantitative data, it's a feeling you get, but you can't really quantify it is the thing that no one really wants to spend energy on when they're making money. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I've done that same exercise where we've just had more time. You sent me a picture uh, over text just a couple of days ago of you like sitting on the back porch and it's really cool to hear your reflection on how stillness has been such a positive aspect of this. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of a personal reflection. And I think there's a whole broader kind of societal reflection. And I think the term pivot is the perfect term. I think society as a whole will have to pivot as a result of this. And I'm not, I, I wouldn't speculate on exactly what all of those things will look like, but I think we'd be naive to, not realize that there's a new normal on the other side of this for most of our lives, whether it's personal or professional. Um, and so I, I'm really curious to see kind of what the, you know, what that looks like and how the really smart people think that's going to turn out because I think there's opportunities for us to enrich and improve as a result of embracing that new normal. Yeah. And can you speak a little bit more on that? Not necessarily making a prediction, but like what you'd like to see change or how you'd like to see businesses or become more intentional. Sure. I, I mean, I think it's easy to, it's easy to speak to like the personal side of it. Like I, you know, we live in a neighborhood that's relatively closed off and family friendly. Um, but, you know, just the volume of people that I've seen kind of in their yards or taking walks and, and just like the, the engagement even from a distance um, it seems genuine and sincere that I think we lacked the time for in, in a pre-COVID-19 world where we were constantly all chasing after the next thing and the next thing in this activity or that club or that social um, engagement and so I think for people I would love to see people embrace a slower pace of life that was more intentional in how they interacted with the people they came into contact with and turned relationships back to turn relationships away from a transactional engagement into a more meaningful personal engagement. Of course. I think in general, like when there's all the ways you would leverage technology, right? Like um, I had, I've had a doctor's appointment without having to go to a building. I've done it over my, over FaceTime with my doctor during this time. Mm. And, and maybe that's a generational thing, but man, if I can get more of that, that's a that's a huge win for me personally because it allows me to now take a larger chunk of time and, and focus on something I want to be more intentional about as opposed to sitting in a waiting room and then you know, have to get in my car and drive to a location and come and check in and then sit in a waiting room. Um, I think some of that's going to be generational, but I think this 
crisis could accelerate the embracing of that kind of technology across different generations that otherwise, in a more organic way, would have taken much longer. You're absolutely right. I think one of the biggest things that I see a lot, the business's hand is being forced to be much more customer centric and focus on being convenient. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, it's funny you say that because like my parents who are in their mid 60s and I'm fairly certain won't listen to this podcast. So I'm going <laughs> to um, I love my love you, mom and dad. Um, they were talking about Carvana. And, and so I think, you know, it's kind of interesting because my, my parents' association with Carvana was really just these funny towers they saw along the interstate when they drove places. Um, but now the conversation is their understanding of how technology would allow them to log on the computer and buy a car without ever having to go to a dealership. Mm. Um, and then for me to share with them that that service is available in Portsmouth, it was like a total, it was a mind blowing experience for my parents. Like, had no idea that that level of customer service, but I tell that whole story to think it's kind of interesting that from a generational perspective, they didn't realize that Carvana, what it was, right? They thought it was like yeah. this hard machine. Um, and it kind of makes me think of Netflix. Like when Netflix started, you know, there were video rental stores and then Netflix came on the scene and they would mail something to your house, right? And, and yeah. you had to get it and you'd watch it and you'd mail it back. And like, that was like a, an incremental improvement over a video rental store. But the end game for Netflix was never mail DVDs to your house. It was to upload it digitally to your device or provide a streaming service that literally blew not only video rental stores, but a lot of ways cable TV out of the water. Mm. And so that was like an organic thing that happened over time. And I tell the Carvana story because for my parents, like that kind of same linear progression has happened gone from this like incremental improvement to their experience to a perceived like significant improvement. Well, I think this entire ordeal that we're going through as a world will, could drastically speed up those types of improvements. And instead of these incremental changes that go from like video store to mail it to your house to I'm now a complete cord cutter and have no cable and can watch whatever movie or TV show I want, right? Well, that was an organic process that took like a decade. Well, I think because of this crisis, that decade could become months and or a year. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how people adapt and also how like the private sector, the business world adapts to being able to deliver a product, a good or a service in that dynamic of what you described, which is customer service focused, right? Like what is like convenience is going to be king. And what convenience are you going to provide to the customer that's a differentiator from all of your other competitors? That's, I mean, so. you're right on, Justin. And something that's always stuck with me, I, it was somebody in the dealer community that just punched everybody in the room in the gut when they said, a customer has, they have zero motivation to do business the way you want them to. So right. like, really, it, it is about being completely customer centric, like what do they want above everything else? You know, the, uh, you know, I appreciate the, the kind words and the comparison with what we're doing at, at Easy Path, because like at Glockner and any local business, technology has become so democratizing. Like we heard Kelly Babb talk talking about it on the last episode of the podcast. Our small businesses can compete with any uh, big business in larger metropolitan areas and even do things better than they're doing them. You know, it's just about putting the work in, finding out what the people 
uh, that you work with locally really want and not putting a cap on yourself because you think things are just, you know, slower here. That's like always kind of seemed that local has never meant lazy. And I think you're exactly right. This crisis has kind of proven to people just how flexible we really can be. Absolutely. It is technology, I think, is going to be a great equalizer in the marketplace. Um, and, and, and businesses, I think, will um, succeed or fail based on a couple of factors. You know, their willingness to embrace that technology and then the actual merits of their goods and services, right? Um, so now it'll no longer be, I can't get this because I don't have access to it, or I can't get that because it's not as good as what it's now literally going to be a, level, a more level playing field for the, the local and small business folks. And, and I'm excited to see that as it helps drive like what's going on in Portsmouth. So. Mm, absolutely. And for it, just to drop a little bit of extra value there, Justin, for any like uh, entrepreneurs or local businesses, the, the case studies that I'm reading continue to show over and over that what the modern consumer wants is that faster process or speed, right, of the service. Uh, as well as transparency of the transaction and the third one being convenience above everything else. Absolutely. I, the, one of the jobs I had in college is I worked at a bookstore and the guy who owned the bookstore, he, um, small business owner, and, and he was, I feel like, really ahead of this curve. He would always say, uh, good, fast, and cheap. You can only get two. It's totally Absolutely. True. Like from a customer perspective, you know, people will pay more for a good service that comes at a, at, at, comes faster at a convenience to them. Mm. And they don't necessarily always have to do that, but it's, it's just people really will value quality and convenience above all else. And I think the local marketplace can provide both of those things. You're absolutely right. Little less known facts about Justin. You're, so you're on the board of directors at the Counseling Center. Uh, it's really amazing to see them get so much well-deserved recognition for the work in, in drug and addiction treatment. And then, you know, they just got featured again on the Today Show. What's been your favorite part of being a part of their recovery community? Yeah, it's honestly, it's a, it's a gift to me to get to be a part of what they're doing. Um, and I think if we're all with ourselves, we've all been affected by the opioid epidemic. Um, mm either directly or indirectly by either friends or family members. Um, and, and my family is no different. And so to, to have the privilege to serve in an advisory capacity while they continue to uh, grow and, and really mature in how they serve their clients. And, and when I say mature, you know, it's yes, their objectives are to help people through the stages of recovery, but their commitment to try to help people find sustainable recovery and ultimately employment at the, at the end of that um, and really reintegrate into society in a way that they feel like they've maintained their dignity and their worth and their humanity and they can sustain their life financially um, mm. is really just, it's, it's amazing what they're doing and how they've grown. We, um, we spent time in the past year talking about kind of the growth trajectory of the counseling center and, of the agencies underneath the counseling center um, and, are, and it's neat to be on board at a time of maybe an inflection point for them to think about what the next wave of growth looks like and some of the exciting stuff um, kind of on the front burner that people will see but then some of the even maybe more exciting stuff on the back burner that hopefully we'll be able to share you know more about in the near future too. 
Yeah, and it's it's and you know they're they I think they would tell you that they their story doesn't just involve them; it involves other partners within the community. And I think seeing how those relationships are mutually beneficial and they're mutually committed um, to to the improvement of the community is part of what is driving, I think, the surge in optimism and positivity towards what's going on in Portsmouth from a rebuilding standpoint. It's not just physical, and there are amazing people investing money and time into the physical rebuilding of the downtown and the community, but there's, there's an emotional and psychological renaissance that's going on too that I feel like without the counseling center's commitment to that larger rebuilding effort, I think an entire segment of our community's population would feel left behind mm. because they're, they're committed and they're bringing their, their staff and their clients into that with their partnerships with PSKC and Friends of Portsmouth and the other agencies in town. Um, I think that's what leads to like this kind of holistic or integrated resurgence that we see going on in Portsmouth. And so honestly, to be a board member there at this time is just really exciting and fun. And we get to, um, be engaged and active, and so I'm grateful for that opportunity. Mm, absolutely. Continuing on the the lesser known facts, one of my favorite things about you and Missy's story is, is um, just being friends with you. I, I know how like incredible that adoption has been for you and Missy. Can you share a little bit about like your journey to Nora? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, so Missy and I always, when we got married, we always knew we wanted to adopt. And, and that kind of, our perseverance toward that was tried early in our relationship due to some health issues. Like she wasn't able to have more children when we got married. So um, the adoption was going to be the only really route for us to grow our family at that point. And so even though we always knew we wanted to adopt, it didn't mean that timing wise, we were always on the same page and sometimes I think we joke that we weren't even reading the same book as far as what we wanted from adoption so there was a season where I was like I don't care if they're two or 12 like let's adopt them and there was a season where she was like I only want to adopt a baby and we just we seem to kind of always be at an impasse and um, you know for us you know prayer and reflection and counsel from like people that we love were like a real tool to help us work through that um, and on our way to that, we hosted a foreign exchange student for a year um, to kind of get a sense of what that dynamic would do to our family. And um, we had some other friends who adopted internationally. And so we actually initially started the adoption process with the intention of adopting from Ethiopia in Africa. And so, um, you know, adoption is a, a costly endeavor. And so one thing adoption, adoption taught us lots of things. And one thing it taught us was how kind and generous people were. And I'm actually going to turn this around on you for a second. Um, you and your wife, Aubrey, supported us every step of the way, even though at that time, like, I would say that um, I would describe us probably more as acquaintances than friends. Yeah. Um, we'd known each other and our paths had crossed, and we were obviously as extroverts, super comfortable having conversations with one another, but hadn't really, like, had, like, meaningful, like, long-lasting, like, friendship-type engagement with one another. Um, but I remember you all came to like a fundraiser we had was a yard sale. And then y'all brought us food when we adopted Nora and brought her home. And so like to see like the kindness and generosity that you guys and so many other people modeled for us and showed us that process um, was just such an encouragement. And um, 
in, into that. So early on in that process, uh, Ethiopia actually initially paused their adoption program and then eventually closed their adoption program. So um, some money that we had spent, a not insignificant amount of money was now gone that we couldn't get back because Ethiopia was no longer processing international adoptions. And so that was in, in a real like small window, a real discouraging time for us and challenging time. Um, but, you know, like all things, um, there's a, and in, in God's timing, we were blessed to kind of pivot again, you know, that word that keeps coming up in our conversation and move towards a domestic adoption with an agency in Columbus. Um, really in a pretty short period of time for, for, from adoption perspective, and then about 12 to 14 months started the process with them where we were, Nora was placed with us at birth. And so um, just a blessing, man. I tell you, uh, it's a little unnerving, a little nerve-wracking thinking about as a parent going from man-to-man to zone defense. We're like outnumbered forever now. Um, <laughs> there's always going to be three of them two of us. Um, and that's not without its challenges. And, and kind of just age-wise, there's, a, there's about a 12-year, 11-year gap, I guess, between your oldest and youngest. And so for us, there's some dynamics there that we're, we've had to work through. But um, and adoption has just been such a, a neat way for God to teach me, and I think Missy would say this, her, about ourselves and, and just reveal how, um, you know, there's real joy and sacrifice in loving somebody else. There's real joy in, in kind of putting your wants and needs to the side for your kids or somebody that you love. And so um, it's definitely probably taught us more than we ever thought it would, which has been really cool. And you wouldn't, you know, I can't imagine life without Nora, who's 18 months old now, um, and running around like crazy. And, you know, she and, and your little girl, Olive, um, they love each other and go to music class together. And so, you know, it's going to be neat to watch them grow up together and, uh, and be friends. So, I mean, just mutually as, as well, Justin, I think so why so many people were like bought in and supporting you guys is because you really brought a lot of awareness on um, like how much need there is for adoption efforts. Do you have some like quick local resources or how, how did you start that process? It's a great question, man. And, and I'll tell you, it's a, um, if somebody dives into the, the, the data, it's a pretty sad, it's a pretty tragic uh, exercise that the, get a perspective into how many kids there are that, um, and, and you know, honestly, we, there's different options or different avenues. There's um, foster to adopt, which is a, a local, is the most local avenue. So through every children's services department in the state, um, people can become licensed foster parents. And, and I'll just be, be super candid. I have just mad respect for those folks because that is the hardest road in my mm-hmm. opinion, because there's no guarantee that you'll ultimately get to adopt those kids, you know. Um, the way, Things are set up now, and, and rightly so. Their, their aim is always family reunification for the child. And so if parents or, or extended family members are um, capable and willing, they're always going to first and foremost place those children with those parents or extended family members. And so for us, it was um, we explored that route and just felt like that was something that we emotionally weren't sure that we would deal with very well. Um, Missy actually said, you know, if, they, if we foster a child and they – took them back from me that there'd probably be an Amber Alert um, because she'd probably take off with the child. So that was kind of a no-go from that point. Um, and I appreciated her honesty, um, you know, and, and Missy does. She keeps it 100 for sure, man. Yeah. Like yeah, one of the exactly. realest people. Yeah. And so, um, 
And so for us, it was immediate, like, how do we pursue adoption? And, and we have initially pursued international adoption, like I said, and that's certainly an avenue that's still available. Um, but domestic adoption is, is a real need, and it's something that people can work with agencies here in the state of Ohio. We worked with an agency called Adoption Circle out of Columbus, um, which might at first seem like um, a bit of a distance, but they, they have social workers throughout the entire state. So um, the social worker who actually interacted with us directly and came into our home and interviewed us and met with our family lives here in Wheelersburg, where we live. So oh, wow. um, we knew multiple families here in Soda County who had adopted through that agency. And so, and we've, we've, since we've been placed with Nora, we know additional families from the, it, it, this area and surrounding counties who have gone on to partner with that agency to pursue adoption. So it's really something that is available to everybody um, who's interested. And there certainly are enough kids um, that, that have a need. And so it's, if it's something that anybody has a question about or is curious about, you know, we're not experts by any means, but I know that Missy and I would be happy to um, to in, interact with anybody who reaches out that's curious. And, um, you know, so it's been a, like I said, a real blessing for us and just something that we would encourage anybody to dig into a little bit if they're even remotely curious because there's definitely a need um, out there. Absolutely. You know, through, through our friendship, I know you're a, a content curator for your, yourself. You're always like listening to all kinds of podcasts, those kind of things. Drop our listeners like a line, Justin. What are, what's the best quarantine content that's come out of this <laughs> he's checking his phone right now i am checking my phone let's see what's good um so i've got a guilty ple i have a couple of guilty pleasure podcasts that are absolutely mindless they're, they're not about personal improvement um so I'm, I'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you three things real good and and uh real quick and and so i think i've tried to cultivate new habits and new hobbies throughout this time so in an effort to to kind of channel the extrovert in me and, and give that person a little bit of structure but really more a little bit of like excitement um so a habit for me is um is my morning routine and so i i get up early and i read and so i missy told me not to talk about what i'm reading on the podcast because nobody will listen to it <laughs> but i'm i'm a i love religion learning about religion. I love learning about politics and stuff you're not supposed to talk about, but I'm reading a 400 page book called tried by fire, the story of Christianity's first thousand years. Oh, so wow. I would encourage anybody, you don't have to read that book, but find a topic uh, that really is interesting to you and dive into it. Um, that would be a content recommendation I have. It's a, that is a, a less specific recommendation. My second encouragement would be find a hobby. Um, so this is an, interesting hobby that I wouldn't have expected, but my, our youngest son, Logan, who's nine, and I have taken to bird watching as a hobby. Um, we have binoculars and everything. Um, we downloaded an app. So this is, a, this is a content recommendation. Here's an app. This app will blow your mind. It's called Merlin Bird ID, and it's from Cornell University. Um, oh, wow. You download, you download the app. It's free. Um, the app takes your um, GPS data and determines what region of the country you're in. And then literally you can snap pictures of birds and they can be distant and grainy and it will tell you what kind of bird that is, tell you a bunch of facts about it, has the odd, like the noise for the bird call. And so Logan and I sit on our screen in back porch now and watching the trees out behind our house and are constantly identifying new birds. So that's a type of content um, that I think has actually been pretty cool. It's a slower paced activity. We're learning some stuff. I'm interacting with my nine-year-old in a way that we never did before. 
Um, so that's really cool. Uh, my guilty pleasure content of the, this is really what you're here for. You like land the plane, Justin. I'm now determined to be the last person who watches Tiger King since everybody else has already seen it. Um, um, I'm so how, how, how have you resisted after like the 200 plus memes you've probably seen at this point? <laughs> Very carefully. That's how I resist it. Um, more practically, I just, the, kind of the rhythm of our home life right now with the kids being homeschooled and Nora having a pretty strict bedtime. I, I am me carving my time out in the mornings before work for reading. I, I just really don't have a lot of TV time. But I'll tell you what I've been listening to. Um, Pure Guilty Pleasure is a podcast called The Rewatchables. Mm. So The Rewatchables literally takes movies that every that you've seen probably more than once and then breaks them down by categories and talks about best scene, what, what age the best, what age the worst. Um, they have a section called Casting What Ifs. Where they talk about who could have been casted for this role, who turned it down. And it's about an hour and a half about just random movies that we've all seen dozens of times and they span all different genres so you can just like go through and pick out the ones you like um but it's purely just entertainment it's a way to kind of relive some movies that i really like or that my and i would watch together they've thrown a couple up there that missy loves so they hit the chick flick category too yeah so yeah <laughs> a guilty pleasure engagement for me just to pass time as i'm driving um and looking for something different so yeah so i also have you to thank justin for my addiction to revisionist history which i'm well, pretty much caught up to at this point. Absolutely. <laughs> also, like I was saying, quarantine content is, is one of the coolest things, definitely a, a huge positive that's come out of this, that now that people have slowed down, they've been able to share parts of their lives that they maybe haven't before. Bastian Lakoff, who was on the podcast a couple episodes ago, yeah. started a late night show with other artists. Um, the art director of Magic the Gathering was just on it last night or the night before. And so I was like, man, uh, you needed to be quarantined sooner, Bastion. This is what I told him. <laughs> like, we needed to get this a long time ago. And then, uh, I mean, Larry Angel, that I, I believe is located somewhere in Wheelersburg too, like his Uncrate app has been so cool and relevant through all this. I saw this meme the other day that was like, I don't know who needs to hear this, but you don't need anything from Amazon right now. Like, but, but I just need one of those on, like, on my home screen on my phone or something that it just replaced with Uncrate. So can I tell an Uncrate story that brings it back to Portsmouth? I saw on Uncrate the other day a, um, a mask that New Balance is manufacturing. Yes. Did you see that mask? I did. I did. Okay. So it looks like, it kind of looks like a, a, something like Bane would wear in Batman, um, but it's got this really weird colorful um, elastic band on the back of it. That band is made at Soul Choice here in Portsmouth. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, straight up. Yeah, they 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 actually donated three thousand of them to the hospital to help us make our face shields. But that's how that's what they were manufacturing for was New Balance for their face masks. Man, and then I saw it on the other day, and I'm like, what a freaking small world! That uncreate an app developed by a guy in Wheelersburg shows a mask made by an an, an international manufacturer that the parts were sourced to make it from Portsmouth. Yes, yes. I mean, that's the coolest. I love you dig a little bit deeper in some of, uh, I, I don't know, even like the biggest or big pop culture references like that are brands like New Balance. And you can see like Portsmouth is, is do, putting in the work, man. For real. Sure, for sure no doubt. Uh, last question, Justin. I, I, uh, you keep saying this word rhythm throughout um, 
the podcast and something that I wanted to bring in attention because I think it's a, a really valuable concept. Like, what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I, and maybe it's just the way my brain works. Like it's kind of like word picture type visualization when I think of things, but I, I seem to feel most productive and most emotionally healthy when I have consistent rhythms or, and it's probably just a word I'm using to replace routines in my life. Um, but I think there are, um, there's real value in, in establishing those rhythms or routines. And I think what was, I think what you alluded to earlier was we're still kind of figuring out what's going on with this COVID-19 kind of self-isolation quarantine. And I think for most of us, our rhythms were just disrupted and in a lot of cases completely changed. And so I think the challenge right now in, in this cycle or this time, this window between the what things used to be like and what things are going to be like in the future, and this right now is establishing a rhythm that works for now, but understanding that those rhythms or routines on the other side of this aren't going to look like they did before, and they're probably not going to look like they do right now. Of course. And so I think, so for me, I, I use the word rhythm because it, it just helps me think about like, Am I consistently engaging in things that are adding value to my life? Or am I filling my spaces with things that are actually taking value away, but because I'm busy or active, I don't realize that immediately. Mm. Absolutely. And just to like add perspective there, because we've had these conversations a lot, like it's probably one of rhythm reassures me that it's okay to take a break to like slow down to spend mm -hmm. i think we both we both get in the the mindsets of when we're not working we probably feel a little bit guilty it's easy to get stuck in that high octane mindset where you're not paying attention uh to the relationships around you so i i know uh jefferson bethy's probably been a little bit of an influence on you as well but he makes a lot of amazing um, content and he's an author as well and talks a lot about this like rhythm concept where he says even with like his technology uses he found he finds like a really helpful rhythm rhythm to like take a break for from his phone for example is like mm -hmm. uh he spends like one hour a day away from it one day a week away from it one week a year away from it and so like i i that was like a huge like breakthrough for me because you, I don't know, you just get stuck in this state of like cognitive dissonance where you're always on the phone. We're, we're all addicted to our phones at this point. There's like no question about that. It's just like, how do you manage that technology to keep your, your relationships in, in your household intact, you know? Yeah, and, I, and it's such a good thing to think about too on the other side of this, like, even though I, you know, we talked about technology being leveraged and integrated in a more accelerated pace, um, just like we can mistake activity for achievement with physical activity, I think we can mistake activity for achievement with technology too. And just because it's digital or it's content driven um, or it's on an app doesn't mean that it's actually adding value. And so mm. I think that's a really interesting takeaway based on what you said. But yeah, but so yeah. I, I think, I think the, the rhythm idea and what you shared about Jeff Rebethi is super challenging, but really encouraging too. But um, yeah. you know, just because it's technology doesn't mean that it has to run your life, even if it adds value in very specific spaces in your life. Yeah, but the concept is just so, like, it's, it's not demonizing it. It's just that there has to be some sort of ebb and flow. Like, you got to step back and move forward and step back and move forward kind of deal. 
Well, hey, what Justin. I mean, you're a little bit of coffee buff as well, dude. Like, what's your, what's been your goal, go-to blend? Do you have, like, a recommendation? Um, I've been trying all kinds of different stuff. So I'm going to, you know, I actually, like, coffee is one of the places, like, in my life where not only do I, like, I really love, like, coffee and how it tastes, like, even the way, like, I, we, like, we make coffee in our house is a little unconventional. Like, we don't generally make it in the machine. We actually grind the coffee like before we make it and we heat the water and we pour it over the coffee um, and even that like the pace of that is more in alignment with what like life has been like the last few months like even just that process is almost like cathartic and relaxing um, so I've been trying coffee from a bunch of different places we've had some mailed in um, from a place in North Carolina that we really love called black and white roasters and so I've had a couple of pounds of coffee from there um, I had a, a bag sent from a buddy um, that was from Peru. So I just trying different stuff and uh, just kind of exploring new flavors and, and things like that. But coffee is definitely a, a wormhole or rabbit hole for me that um, I can go down and really get lost in as far as just like, you know, where it's from and what it tastes like and how to make it yeah, and man. stuff like that. I know it's fun to go down that like that and the craft beer rabbit hole is just like a, a rich one for sure. No doubt. So hopefully, hopefully one day uh, coffee coincides with some sort of small business that my wife and I are able to get involved with. But that's a, in another season of life, probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, Justin, again, thanks so much for spending the time with us, man. Yeah, I, I know for sure that we're all going to look a little bit different after this. And I, I appreciate your sharing your thoughts because I think it's been really um, thought provoking as far as who who we want to be. You know, we can we can control some of that for sure. Yep, absolutely. I love that word. I think you um, I think the idea of taking control of our lives back a little bit from uh, what maybe we thought cultural norms were and, and being more intentional and crafting a picture of what we want our life to look like on the other side of this is a really great place to lead this conversation. So um, I, I've been enriched and just thinking about talking through this stuff with you and then having the conversation. It's been a real pleasure to be on. I love the podcast and, and keep doing what you're doing, man. It's, uh, it's good for Portsmouth. We appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate your time, Justin.